So uh, this morning, uh, we're going to talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Anybody uh, familiar with that chapter? We've all heard it a hundred times at weddings, right? So uh, I get to repeat this again to you that you've heard already a hundred times. Um, but hopefully, uh, we can dive into this in a way that will... Uh, We'll make this make a little bit more sense to you and hit, hit home in a different way this morning than just sort of hearing it, um, as it were, just another time uh, at a wedding. And what we're really talking about this morning is love. And so we all have our ideas of what love is and what makes up love, right? Um, but when we get into 1 Corinthians 13, Paul shows us that uh, love is a pretty deep thing. There's a lot of characteristics of love that we really need to be diving into and that love should be permeating all that we do. So those are easy things to say and what our challenge is this morning is to figure out, okay, well, how does that really apply to our lives? So one of the things, uh, how many of you, just curious, are kind of nervous about public speaking? Anybody? Pretty much the large majority. Um, well, I'm kind of nervous about it too, but there's one thing that makes a difference in this setting, actually. I speak, actually I speak fairly often to different groups and do presentations and stuff, but, but in this group it's a lot easier because there's one thing that I have with this group that I don't have with other groups, is that we are actually meeting in the context of love, right? So I know you guys tease me about this, because, but... I know that you guys love me, right? And I know that you care about me. Yeah, see? <laughs> right? <laughs> so I knew I was risking that one. Um, but I know that you guys care about me, and that makes a difference. So I'm not really worried about making mistakes or because underlying everything that we have here is just this context of love. And so that kind of makes it a lot easier for me to get up here. That's exactly the sort of the heart of what we're talking about today. So when we look at uh, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, it, it is very sort of a standalone chapter. It talks about love, the characteristics of love. But it's actually not meant to be a standalone chapter. And like in everything that we study about the Bible, I'm going to do something here and I'm going to uh, make sure I don't keep you here until 2 o'clock. <laughs> um, like everything we do um, uh, in studying the Bible, we have to look at the context of, of what, we're, what we're looking at, what we're studying. So uh, this is going to be hard for you to understand. I know it's a little rocket science here, but 1 Corinthians chapter 13 comes after chapter 12 and before 14. All right? So the context that we're dealing with is what's going on in 12 and what's going on in 14. So um, I have a slide here that shows sort of the context that we're dealing with. So... Um, Chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians is a chapter that's talking about spiritual gifts. And um, at the end of chapter 12, in verse 31, he, Paul says, Eagerly desire these greater gifts, but I will show you a more excellent way. So what are the gifts that he's talking about? And these spiritual gifts are sometimes kind of controversial in the church, but I'm going to say them anyway. Uh, we're talking about speaking in tongues. We're talking about interpretation of tongues, prophecy, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, discerning of spirits, faith, miracles, and healing. 
all sort of gifts and activities of the Spirit. And so um, at the end of that discussion, Paul says, these things are great, and I want you to pursue these things, but there's a better way, there's a, a way of doing things that I want you to know about. And so then he talks about love in chapter 13. Then in chapter 14, he starts chapter 14, he jumps back in to chapter 14, he says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, of which he was talking about earlier, especially the gift of prophecy. And then chapter 14 goes on to give further instruction on tongues and prophecy. So um, what's happening here is that in the Corinthian church, the people were actually very eagerly pursuing these spiritual gifts, but they were doing so in a way that was sort of puffing themselves up. Look at me, I can speak in tongues. Look at me, I can prophesy. And they would stand in the church and do these things and really not care about anybody else, but they were really more caring about um, how they looked in the context of the church, how spiritual they looked in, in, in front of everybody. <clears throat> so in chapter 12, Paul describes these spiritual gifts, but he doesn't actually spend a lot of time in chapter 12 talking about these spiritual gifts. He talks about describing the body of Christ in the church. And he talks about how each one of us is a, is a key part of the body in the church. So he makes this transition from the gifts that I just talked about to talking a lot about the body. So my encouragement to you in reading that is for you to know that in, in here at Genesis, you are really important. You are a key part. Every, each and every one of you sitting here in a chair this morning is really important to what we are at Genesis. And I'm going to get into more of that later. But we're hands, we're feet. You know, we think of a body, right? There's a lot of descriptions about the body of Christ in the Word where we're, it talks about hands and feet. And, um, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, Mark Mulvaney, he's a great servant around here. He's like the big hands, right? And, uh, you know, there's other people that serve and... Then, you know, Michael Davis is the main mouthpiece, right? So he's got a function, but you all have a function here in the body. But the key part as we look about love is that when I am out and about and I injure myself, uh, I've been doing a little bit more running lately, and if I hurt my calf or I strain my calf, I, I know about it, right? I know instinctively, we all know that. And so what do I do? I use my hands and I'll spend a lot of time rubbing rubbing that out, trying to get that cramp to go away or whatever it is. And so that's one way I take care of myself. If the spirit of love is working well within, the, within our body here at Genesis, if one person is hurting, we should all know about it. Um, and we see this time and time again when somebody will come in and say, oh, you know, Fred, I was thinking about you the other day, I was praying for you, anything going on, you'll say, yeah, I had a really tough day the other day. And, and that's kind of how the body works, the brains, you know, the nervous system of our body is love, okay? The spirit of God and it's love. And we take care of each other that way. So when Paul in chapter 12 is talking about uh, the body, he's really trying to make, drive home the point that it's love that keeps us together 
and love that um, connects us. To accomplish the spirit of unity that we have, um, God has ordained a number of spiritual gifts to the body. He's given us these gifts to the body. Some of those gifts are just the natural talents that we have. Um, just, are we thankful for the musical talents that we have here, right, this morning? Pretty amazing, right? That is a gift to us from God. Many of those talents are natural and uh, have come from a lot of hard work as well. We recognize that. Um, and other gifts that we have are actually come to us spiritually from, from God at the time that we're born again. So we get born again of God's spirit, and God gives us some particularly giftings that come with our spirit that are unique to us. So it could be a, uh, hospitality could be a gift that you have. Um, it could be serving. It could be encouragement. Those are gifts that we get that help the body and to keep us together and to, um, to really keep us at one and in unity together. And all of those, are, in addition to those, there's the, the gifts of teachers and evangelists and apostles, right? Those, those gifts. And uh, so there's some in the body who have the gift of teaching and do what we're doing right now. But again... Getting back to chapter 12, Paul's talking mostly about these quote-unquote spiritual gifts, things like speaking in tongues and prophesying and things like that. And it's these gifts that the Corinthians were kind of taking a, you know, a wrong right turn on when they should have been going straight down the road. So Paul's not trying to say there's anything wrong with these gifts. He's just trying to say that the way you're using them, Corinthians, is not healthy, it's not right. It's not being done in the spirit of love. So let me show you the most excellent way that you can do these things. And so that's when he transitions into chapter 13. Um, let's take a look at chapter 13 and how that sort of divides out too. So here's the first three verses of, um, oops, there's another slide, Jen, which kind of gives a description of each, uh, Chris, sorry. Um, Verses 1 to 3 in chapter 13 talk about the absolute necessity of love, why we have to have love in our midst. So that's, this is the first three verses here. The second um, set of verses, chapters four, uh, verses 4 to 6, talk about the character of love. We're going to talk about that. And then in verses 7 and 8, it talks about, Paul talks about the permanency of love, right? That love endures, love never goes away. <clears throat> so Paul um, is not talking about a love that is fleeting or abstract or that comes once in a lifetime, but a love that has been uh, explicitly expressed in the person of Jesus and the fact that Jesus came to die for us. So when you think about the love that Jesus had for us and that he was willing to die for us, um, that's the sort of the underlying context that we have, again, for this chapter. And for Paul, love is not an idea or a motivating factor in what we do. It is the very essence of what we do. It is not a motivating factor for our behavior. It is our behavior. And so this is kind of a point that I want you to, would like you to sort of try to get into as we get into some of the verses here. What we do is love. What we are is love. 
Love is action, right? Love is not a sort of a passive thing where we sit back and, and, and look, um, look away. I think we all understand that faith without action is, is nothing, and love is the same. Love and faith are very much in tune that way. So uh, saying that all we should do should be motivated by love even falls short of where Paul wants us to be in our understanding of love here. Being motivated by love suggests that we stop, we take a look at what we're doing, and then say, okay, did I just do that because I'm loving that person, or did I do that out of my own personal need to have some kind of gratification? And I think what Paul is saying is that even that falls short because the love that he wants us to have is just pouring out, right? We shouldn't have to check. It should just be pouring out and natural for us to do that. So um, for me, that sort of motivated, everything motivated by love is too mechanical, if that makes sense. Does that make sense at all? So what are we really talking about? We're talking about allowing God's love to permeate everything that we do. Everything that we are, everything that we do should be permeated by love. Again, this is very conceptual right now, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I've got some other things to share with you which may, may help uh, get, you, get you a grasp on this a little bit more. Let's look at verses 1 to 3 that we just had up a minute ago. What Paul is going to do now in the first few verses of chapter 13 is contrast the gifts of the Spirit um, and love and so, verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. So, if you're not familiar with this concept of speaking in tongues, uh, what it is, it's, um, it's a spiritual utterance, in, in other words, that just allows uh, the person to speak in a tongue that's not theirs. And it's, uh, it's kind of crazy because it's not controlled by them, but rather controlled by the Spirit of God. And so we see that in action all throughout Acts. And uh, Peter on the day of Pentecost spoke in tongues, but in a language that other people could understand. And people were saved that day because what he said in tongues. But overall, in, in, in most of the time, it should be a language that's not understood by other people. And that's the key here. So whoever's speaking in tongues speaks a language that they don't understand, and nobody else understands either. So what Paul is saying, yeah, well, that's kind of cool, sort of, but if you did that in the church context, who's going to understand what you said and doesn't mean anything? So that's why he uses this resounding gong or clanging cymbal. Yeah, it's really great that you have this gift, but it doesn't do anybody any good. In, uh, in another part of Corinthians, he does say that if you speak in tongues, it edifies yourself, but it doesn't edify anybody else. So if you're doing that in the context of the church and you're not doing it in the context of love, you're wasting your time. In uh, verse 2, he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. Now, here's pretty interesting, we saw earlier that uh, prof the prophecy is a gift that you should eagerly, eagerly desire. Why? In a similar fashion, it is God 
by your spirit speaking through you and letting his words come out. Similar to tongue, you don't necessarily know what you're going to say. God's words come out. But they are in a language that people can understand. And as God speaking to the congregation through the prophet, and people are blessed by the words of God that would come out. So that's a better gift. But even still, if you do that and you don't do it in the context of love, what's the point? If you can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, that sort of is combined with prophecy where God will reveal his knowledge and mysteries to uh, a person who has this prophetic gift. And if you can know all these things and not have love, it's nothing. Uh, How many of you know people that like know everything, right? Sometimes they can be pretty annoying, right? That's exactly what Paul is talking about here. Oh, you wouldn't believe what God showed me today, right? Again, do I have to sit through this? And all a person is doing is really trying to get you to understand how spiritual he is. Now, if I went quietly over to Rob, you know, after the service, and I said, Rob, you know, Lord laid something on my heart about you. Can I share it with you? And he says, yes, and I, and I share it, and he's blessed. Well, I haven't made anything of myself, but I've blessed Rob, and I've done it in the context of love, right? Does that make sense? If you have a faith that can move mountains, but you don't have love, you're nothing. A lot of people think that faith, I don't want to sort of get into all of these, uh, teaching about all these gifts, but the, the concept of faith isn't if I believe hard enough, I can move a mountain. That's not what, what's going on in these different verses. What, what's happening is, if God tells you to go and move that mountain, and you have faith that God will move that mountain, if you shout at the mountain, God will move the mountain, okay? So if you have that kind of faith that God will do what he says he's going to do when, when you're um, obeying him, um, and you don't have any love, there's no point. And uh, lastly, in verse 3, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. So I can give and give and give money, but if I do that to uh, show how generous I am, um, I'm doing it for myself, and I'm not doing it for the good of the church There's no use. And what he's talking about surrendering his body to the flames uh, is just um, talking about sort of a martyrdom type sacrifice. If I was to sacrifice myself for the cause of the church, but if I did it so that my name would live on forever and not for the good of the church, there's no point. So Paul isn't saying that these gifts of the Spirit aren't good. He's just saying that love is better. And what he was really saying is that love is the way in which these gifts are to function. So first there's love undergirding everything that we have. God's love, right? Not our own. I want to make, I want to make that clear over and over again. God's love. And these spiritual gifts can then operate in a way that increase the unity and increase the love that's in the church. So if we were able to all walk around after church and encourage each other with something that God has showed us or revealed about each other, that would be a real blessing, right? And that's what Paul is trying to drive at. And again, the reason 
that Paul is comparing these spiritual gifts within, with, within his letter to the Corinthians is that they were choosing after these gifts in a prideful way. He gives further correction and admonishment to the Corinthians on all these things in chapter 14. So he doesn't want to get really focused on the issue of you're not doing things right. In chapter 13, he wants to keep hammering on the point that the way that we go about things is love, okay? The Corinthians lost sight of the gospel, right? And we had the, the blessing of going through life groups this last semester um, through a teaching called the gospel-centered life, right? That everything that we do, everything, be it work, be it church, be it our recreational time, should be centered around the gospel. The gospel should be at the center of everything. And what I learned about that was that the gospel isn't just about Jesus dying on the cross for me and saving me and that I can be with him for eternity and I'll have eternal life. The gospel is about freedom, right? The gospel is about truth. It's about being free from sin, about being free from bondage, um, just being free from all the things that tangle us up in life. And that's the, um, the essence of the gospel. The Corinthians lost sight of this and their lives were being marked by how spiritual they thought they were in accordance with what they could do with these spiritual gifts. Remember last week uh, when Michael spoke, he talked about uh, the church of uh, Ephesus, the Ephesians uh, in Revelation, and how Jesus had a lot of good things to say about them, but he said, you have lost your first love, right? You're missing the mark, you're missing the boat. That's exactly what Paul is driving at here at the Corinthians. You need to be centered on love in everything that you do. So the next few verses that we're going to take a look at, uh, verses uh, 4 to 7, list out the characteristics of love. And we're going to go through those. I'll just walk through them here quickly, and we'll walk uh, through each one individually. So love is patient. Love is kind does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Love is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. The interesting thing about this is, that despite all these descriptors, this is only a glimpse of what love is. I mean, it's just like open the box and just looking in a little bit, right? And so if you understand all this about love, you're in a pretty good place. But there's a lot more. Um, let me show you Ephesians chapter 3 where Paul is talking about this. Um, now, obviously, this is in a different, uh, a different chapter, a different section uh, in his letter to the Ephesians. But let's read this and then try to relate that back to chapter 12. Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power in your, through his spirit in your inner being 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure with all the fullness of God. That's a big mouthful. Um, What I'd like you to take a look at is the second sentence. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Okay, so he's talking to the Ephesians. He says, all right, I already know you guys. I know that you are rooted and you're established in love. I'm proud of you guys, right? This is good. But what he says next is kind of interesting. What he's saying in a really nice way is, I'm glad you're all rooted, established in love. I'm really proud of you guys. But you don't have a clue. You don't even have the slightest idea about what God's love is. But he says, I'm going to pray in the next part here, you're rooted and established. I'm going to pray that you may have the power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. Where you are now is really good. I'm proud of you guys. But I'm just going to pray that you, through the strength of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit, will begin to grasp how amazing God's love is. It is big. Bigger than you can imagine. And then he goes on to say, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It's so big, you can't, you, even if you get a handle on it and God reveals that to you, you it'll blow up your brain if you get all of it. <laughs> you get all of it. And here's the encouragement that if you could start to grasp this concept of love, if you could start to get a handle on it, that you might be filled, that you might be filled to the measure with all the fullness of God. And what is God? God is love, right? So that you could be filled to the measure, to the maximum that you are capable with love. All right? So that's... Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. So let's, uh, having known now, know that we don't have a clue, let's go back to this sort of instruction manual on what love is. So let's take a look at love is patient. Oh. <laughs> Mostly, patience refers to our ability to forbear with each other particularly with respect to wrongs. And if you look at the word for wrongs, it's actually a word that is related to evil. All right? So if someone wrongs you, you know, there's a good chance that there's been some evil thing done to you, right? So um, if we're wronged or we're personally injured, patience is about us being able to just live with it, right? Deal with it. Forbear with it. Forbear one another. I'm sure there's none of you in here that have ever hurt each other's feelings, so I think we don't have to really talk about this too much. (laughs) So what do we do? We forbear with one another. We're patient with one another. Because uh, no matter what, even if it's not meant, we're going to 
offend one another somehow, some, some way. God puts up with our repeated offenses over and over and over again. Right? Amen to that? So what he wants us to do is we're filled with his love. He wants us to forbear with repeated offenses of each other. So if my pal David Fleming over and over and over again hurts my feelings, I'm like, okay, I know he loves me. Okay, it's all right. I'm going to forbear with him. He doesn't, by the way. He's a good guy. Um, even though he's a Fleming, he's not my brother, though. Brother in the Lord. It's okay. Here's one for you. This community is a new community. We've, we've only been seven, eight, nine months sort of underway as a church. So the Lord is raising up some of you sitting right in these seats here to be leaders, right? It's kind of daunting, you know, uh, such a young crowd, but we have to have people who are willing to step up, willing to lead in various ways. Um, guess what? When you're a leader, you're going to get criticized. When you're a leader, you're going to get uh, gossiped behind your back. All these things are going to happen. As a leader, you're going to have to be extra patient because you're going to get more of that than everyone else. So those of you who are going to become leaders in this group, I just encourage you, work on patience. You might be taken advantage of. Those of you who serve and serve well, it's so easy to take advantage of people who serve a lot. Hey, Mark's got a truck, right? He's got a truck, and he's got big muscles. So... <laughs> He's the guy, hey, Mark, I'm moving on Saturday. Can you help me? Right? First phone call. Um, you know, it's easy for Mark, a guy like Mark, to be taken advantage of. Mark, I pray for patience for you. <laughs> patience also means that we bear with those people who are slow to learn. Not everybody's a rocket scientist. Um, means that we bear with complainers. We bear especially, guys, with people who don't get it yet. People who are wayward. People are still walking in sin. I can't tell you this is our biggest prayer for Genesis, is that we can be a community of believers that love each other, right? And that people can walk in that door who are just burdened with sin, burdened with muck, and that they can come in here and feel like that they're loved and feel like there's an opportunity for them to turn their lives around with the power of God and the power of His Spirit. I can stop right there. That right there is the essence of what we want this place to be. We want to be such a loving community that a person can come in that door and feel like they're loved, even though they're rife with sin. Here's the challenge. For those of us who are looking at God and just continually looking up to Him, we want to be focused on the goodness and righteousness and faithfulness of God, bring those people in, but not be affected by that, right? So it's a challenge, right? There's quite a challenge. 
We want to love people who sin and people who are hurting, but we want to be remaining strong in the righteousness and faith that comes from God. So it's an amazing challenge. It's what we have to do. And so that's, uh, it takes all of us to do that together and to encourage one another to do that. And in the midst of dealing with all of that, we have to be patient. Um, I'll just give you an example of a, of a guy that just the Lord just put in my path. It was totally a God thing. This guy's name was Matt. And uh, Matt had a lot of problems. But he literally just got plopped in my, in my path, and it was clear that I was supposed to help him out. Matt had a problem with drinking. He had a problem with uh, uh, sexual issues. He had more problems than you can name. And to be honest with you, I didn't really like Matt <laughs> because he was really hard to deal with. But God said, you know, very clearly, Paul, you, and I wasn't alone because he dropped the same guy out of nowhere into another friend's path, and we, the both of us ministered to him together. And at times, uh, my friend Scott and I would sit down over coffee and say things like, do you think that God dropped this guy in our path? Or do you think that Satan dropped this guy in our path? I'm serious, right? Because, oh. Yeah, and Patty's sitting back there. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> Unbelievable. And, you know, he would lie to us, and he wouldn't be, he just, it was, it was awful. Yet we kept pursuing him, and his life made some significant progress in a lot of areas. And we did this for about 18 months, and finally the Lord said, okay, you're done with him. And Matt disappeared right after that. As soon as like God released Scott and I, said, I don't want you to deal with him anymore. You've done your job. Thank you. He just kind of disappeared. And a few weeks ago, we got a card from Matt and just said, I remember everything you guys did. You helped me. God bless you guys. I'll never forget you. I didn't like Matt, but I loved Matt. And there's a big difference between the two. And now, over time, the God gets hold of Matt and transforms his life. I'm sure I will like Matt, <laughs> right? But he's kind of an annoying guy in a lot of ways. But patience got me through. Let's take a look at the next one. Love is kind. Oh. Kindness is love in action. So patience is kind of the passive side of it, right? You don't really do much with patience. You just kind of have to... Okay, that's patience, right? Love? <laughs> love is kind. Love is kind. kind. Kindness is the things that we do. Love in action. Uh, I read somewhere and looking through this, kindness is love in work clothes, right? It's out there doing stuff. That's what kindness is. Um, it's what we do, and it's, it's the things that we do that show people that we care, right? Love is caring. A note to a friend who is sick, uh, helping somebody out with something, 
um, visiting someone, inviting someone to dinner that you think might be a little bit lonely, um, helping someone with a, with a problem, or just even expressing interest in somebody else's concerns. These are all kind things, right? You could go on forever about what is kind. But um, this kindness, these things that we do, is the very outpouring, the outflowing of love, right? So if we have love in us and it's pouring out, then kindness is what you'll see. So I'm going to read you this. This is kind of funny. There's a website that I came across called kindness.com.au, which means it's from Australia. So listen to this. Being kind is an enjoyable experience. It makes you feel good and useful and alive, and it validates you as a human being. When you're kind, it triggers a number of beneficial physical and psychological responses. The most obvious response is the feel-good sensation, which has been officially titled the helper's high. <laughs> the person who receives the I'm still quoting, the person who receives a kind act experiences, experiences the feel-good response too. It's a nice experience when someone smiles at you or thanks you or compliments you or helps you in some way. You're crea- I'm smiling. <laughs> it creates a bonding, and in that moment, there is a greater sense of worth about yourself and people in general. It is a feeling akin to falling in love and in that moment, you have fallen in love with the whole of humanity. <laughs> it has been scientifically proven that regular small acts of kindness have a positive effect on your physical and me- mental well-being, but also on your longevity. Okay, so falling in love with humanity is the result of kindness. If I'm kind, I will feel better and I will feel in love with humanity. The side benefit is that the other person feels better, according to that website. Really, that is the issue. It's a side benefit. You know, if you're being kind without the kind of love we're talking about, what happens to the other person is a side benefit. You're the one that gets the benefit. Okay, we need to go to kindness.com and bring them Paul's letters to the Corinthians here because it's not about you, right? It's about loving others. The Bible states it simply. Love is kind. I don't get love from being kind. I am kind because I love, right? More accurately, I'm kind because God's love is in me. I am kind because I'm willing to put my selfish nature aside and let God's love come out. I care because God cares, right? So if God's loving me, that's just a natural outpouring. So that's kindness. And I think this worldly view of kindness is empty. It's exactly what Paul is talking about here. Okay, so as a people of God, we are to be known for two things. Obviously love, but love is as, as it's expressed in patience and kindness. I think if we could stop here, that would be pretty good, you know? If we could be known as a loving church that's patient and kind, that would probably be um, a long way to where we need to go. But then Paul switches gears and he talks about what love is not. Paul starts uh, um, by saying that 
love does not envy. I don't think we have an envy slide. You may have a lot of money, and you may have a lot of stuff, Mr. Costa. You may have lots of stuff, but I have one thing that you don't have. I have envy. (laughs) That is a quote from the movie Envy with uh, Jack Black. Uh, Envy is seductive. Envy is enticing. But envy is one thing that's not only contrary to love, but it sets itself up as a hurdle for you. Uh, if you are envious, it's difficult to love. It's difficult to, some, to love somebody that you envy. You want their stuff. You don't care about them. I want their stuff. When you envy, you're actually resentful of the person. You're not loving the person. Envy will block you in your relationship with God. Hear this very clearly. Envy is one of the things that will block your relationship with God. It's a serious issue. If you think you have envy, you need to get, take care of it. It kind of falls near into the category of idolatry, right? You're idol- idolizing someone else's stuff. We don't want to be doing that. Let's take a look. Love do- does not boast. I think we have a, we have a picture of that. <laughs> I have another one, too. Love is not proud. We can show that one too, Christy. She's getting it. (laughs) That's a proud cat. Don't mess with that cat. When we are boastful, we are... (laughs) When we are boastful, we are concerned with ourselves. We are trying to make ourselves look good by trumpeting our accomplishments. The Pharisees were boastful. Craving the attention of people, they were religious show-offs. They were very boastful. And you know what Jesus had to say about the Pharisees. We don't need to go there. He was not happy with them. A boaster will talk about himself and will not likely inquire of others. That would be kind. Um, Proverbs 27.2 says this, Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Let other people praise you for what you do. You don't have to do it yourself. And, um, you know, if nobody's paying you a compliment or giving a kind word about you somewhere, then maybe you ought to think about how you're doing in the kindness department. Just saying. (laughs) To quote a friend. (laughs) Uh, Pride rears its head in so many ways. We don't want to talk a lot about pride here. We've talked a lot about that in the past. But pride is the battleground of humility, right? We're supposed to be humble in all the things that we do. Pride will keep us from truth. That's a big thing. If you're proud, right, you can't hear truth. And it's truth that is really the essence of love, right, too. So all these things are intertwined together. With humility comes wisdom, and with pride comes disgrace. That's in Proverbs 11.2. All right, let's take a look at uh, love is not arrogant or rude. I think we got one there, too. (laughs) I promise this is the last one. (laughs) Love does not show itself in unseemly or disgraceful ways. All right? Let's just say that. 
This would include shameful behavior as well as just plain rudeness in the way we always think of it with self-centered people. Arrogance was at the heart of Paul's issue with the people of Corinth. The spiritually gifted people who thought they were better than the others and holier than everybody else. Those that love are modest in behavior and in countenance. Love is not self-seeking. I couldn't find any animals that look self-seeking, so. We tend to seek after our own self-interest. That's just natural. That's, you know, sort of human nature. Be it for money, power, or even fame. Joel, maybe you'll be famous someday. But maybe, maybe you know. <laughs> Do it in the Lord, you'll be fine. <laughs> um, our culture is increasingly about us as individuals and much and much less about community. Uh, you know, Michael Davis and I talk about this a lot. Like, our neighborhoods are fractured. Like, you know, we hardly talk to our neighbors anymore. There's no such thing as block parties anymore. We have a block party in our neighborhood, right? It's good. Um, but you don't see that much. You know, people don't join bowling leagues anymore. There's just like sense of communities going away. We're becoming very individualistic. And in that, we are becoming more and more self-seeking in our culture. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. The self-seeking attribute is so obviously not love. We'll move on. Um, love is not easily angered. And here's one that hits home for most of us. Um, anybody that drives a car deals with this one. Uh, also could be stated that love is not easily provoked and love is not irritable. Because we tend to be prideful and self-centered, we are easily offended when someone tries to move into our space, right? To take advantage of us in traffic or in any multitude of situations. Many of us, all right, let's be honest, right? Can we be honest with each other? We like to be mad, right? We like it. Why? It gives you a sense of self-righteousness. You're not really mad. You're not really angry. You're right. But you're really angry. And so love is not like that, is what Paul is saying. Love is not like that. Um, we can be shaking our fists at the injustices of the world. But guess what? The world is really unjust in almost every place that you look. So you'd be shaking your fist a lot. Paul is saying, don't be like that. Um, on my way over here, I was on the highway, and some guy was getting on the highway, merging in, and uh, there was a pickup truck behind him, and I slowed down to let him in, and I slowed down a lot, more than I probably should have, and the guy in the car got scared and stopped, and the pickup truck, oh, you almost hit him, and you know, and it was kind of cool, because I was praying on my way here, I just kept praying, you know, I didn't shake my fist, I'm like, okay, so far so good. I'm ready for today. That's good. But it's just a good example, right? You know, I could have driven by the guy. What are you, crazy? Are you a dick? I never do that. All right. Here's another one. What we do, many of us tend to translate the comments or actions of others in a way that causes us to be offended. We do it. Don't do that. You get an email. It really happens all the time at work, right? Fred, you know, Fred gets a lot of email at work. This email comes in, 
People just write it. You can say that email in your head any way you want to. You can put any tone of voice you want to on that email. You all know what I'm talking about. A text or an email, it doesn't matter. And so what do we do? Whatever our situation is and whatever, you put your own spin on that email, and then the next thing you know, you are offended, and you're angry. And I'm, you know, that person, I'm going to, and you send back a blasting email, and they're like, what? (laughs) And so Paul's like, don't do that. Love gives the benefit of the doubt. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Okay, Jesus separated us from our sins as far as the east is from the west. That's the example that Jesus gave you. You all did wrong stuff. You're all continuing to do wrong stuff. God forgives you. And when he does, he puts your mess on the horizon as far away as you can see. So why do we, who, by the way, most of you, probably struggled really hard on a history test, right? When you take in history, to remember those names, to remember those dates, remember the events. You just couldn't do it, you know, trying to pass, right? So how is it that you can remember the dates, the times, the events of somebody who ticked you off, the clothes they were wearing, <laughs> the shoes they had on, right? And what time of day it was. I mean, you can remember all those things. So how does that happen? I'll tell you how it happens, because when you study for a history test, you go over it once. The night before the test, because you were lazy, you haven't been studying it all week, you go over it, you look at it once, and the next day you study, okay, what? When you're going over that list of offenses that you have, how many times a day are you going over that list of offenses? So they're always fresh in your mind. You're just rotating that list of offenses through. And what Paul's saying is, cut it out. Don't Love does not keep a record of wrongs. That sheet that you have with all those wrongs on it is blank. And if you have something on that sheet, you go to the person right away, you figure it out, you get it sorted out, and you take it off the sheet. All right? You know, right? you, you know what I'm talking about. Jesus presses us hard to be forgivers for a lot of reasons. Being mad and being bitter is just plain bad for your health, all right? It's bad for you in every single way. So um, how many times should you forgive someone who has offended you? What did Jesus say? 70 times 7, right? Okay. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. Um. There's a, there's a lot written in Romans chapter 1 about this, where people who, God gives people over to what they want to do. So if they're you know, into sexual immorality or whatever it is, God says, fine, go for it. I'll let you do it. Maybe someday you'll get in enough of a mess and you'll come back and you know that goodness is what, what I have for you. But in that, the people that are going after these evil and wicked things They want to be approved. So what do they do? They delight in what others are doing, when others are doing the same thing. Because when others are doing the same things as they are, they're being approved, right, in what they do. So peer pressure isn't really about me trying to get someone to join me in my activity. 
It's really about me trying to get someone to approve of what I'm doing, right? And so that's what that's all about. Love rejoices in truth. Uh, Romans 12, 9 says, Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Think about what you rejoice about. What do you get excited about? You know, if a tornado uh, goes through uh, Bangladesh or a flood in Bangladesh and wipes out a thousand people, do you rejoice in that because they're, they're a bunch of sinners that don't know God? If you do, then you should kind of examine where, where your heart is. Some people do. I mean, good Christians do that. Oh, well, you know, the earthquake in Haiti was, uh, you know, they deserve that because they're sinful down there. I don't know what kind of an earthquake we'd get here in Massachusetts. <laughs> Finding joy in truth and in the right conduct of others in accordance with truth and righteousness is really what you should be seeking after. My heart rejoices when I see you people here, the people of Genesis, seeking after the things of God. It just makes my heart sing when you guys are striving after God, when I see the attitudes that you have for um, being right with God, for doing uh, what God wants, when I see the attitudes and willingness to be corrected in different ways, just say, yeah, show me the right way. Show me how to do things. It just makes my heart sing, and God's heart sings as well. It's a huge blessing. Today's message uh, and this series, Love or Die, is very important for all of us because we must seek after truth and righteousness. We have to do that, truth and righteousness and getting after God's word, but we have to do all those things totally immersed in love, right? So it's just got to undergird everything we do. So finally, um, I've got another slide here with the final four um, Final four characteristics um, in verse 7. Love always protects, love always trusts, love always hopes, and love always perseveres. A trust, another word for trust is faith. And so um, one way to look at this is that love protects and love perseveres are the things that we do. We protect one another, we watch out for one another. Um, as leaders here in Genesis, there's many of us who, who here who are looking to protect you from different things that could come into the church. Um, the middle two have to do with faith and hope. They're the characteristics of love that really come from God, and those are the things that help us to endure. So I have a hope that can't fade away. I have a hope that I will be with the Lord someday. I have a hope that I will know God in a way that now I can't even imagine. And it's that hope and that faith in the future that helps me to persevere, that helps me to endure through all of the things that we've just been talking about um, and, and uh, really helps me to carry on. Um, every time we pour out in kindness, every time we pour out in love, God is right there to fill you back up again. In fact, I dare say that if you're pouring out, there's, there's, it's, it, you're a vessel and you're pouring out love, right? It doesn't empty and then God fills it up. It's just, he just keeps filling it. You, 
There's, you can't out-love God. Go ahead and try to be kind to as many people as you can. That reservoir is not going to run dry. God will keep filling it up. The last word is the next slide. Love never fails. I tell you what's amazing to me, and just God is so good. When our community, we're loving one another and we're really watching out for one another. God's spirit is among us. Just over and over and over again, we see the riches of God's goodness in the people here among us. And so God is just so faithful and his love for us and um, our love for one another just causes uh, amazing things to happen over, over and over again. And God is faithful. And one, another way to say God is faithful is love never fails. So how do we apply all of this stuff? Let's talk about the gospel-centered life again that we've just been talking about. The gospel permeating everything that we do is the center of everything that we do. In the gospel, we learn that we can't do, in the gospel-centered life, we can't do things by ourselves. We can't become righteous by ourselves. We can't become holy by ourselves. We can't even see our own sin by ourselves, right? Everybody loves the little diagram. If I go like this, half of you will know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, we, we need to get an increasing view of God's holiness, and as we see God's holiness increase over time, we see increasingly how terrible we are, right? And what fills the gap? The cross, right? And so we, our view of the cross keeps getting bigger and bigger. We can't do any of that on our own. We need God's help. But likewise, and this is the, the key today, we can't love on our own either. It's the same message as the gospel. You can't love on your own. The love that I have inside of me as Paul Fleming is pretty abysmal. My family can tell you. Um, the love that I have just by myself, the love that you have for your mom, right, in comparison to God's love, I hate to say it, it's abysmal. It's nothing. God's love needs to fill us. And we can't appropriate that kind of love on our own. Just like we can't save ourselves, just like we can't it, of our own see our own sin and, and save ourselves, we need God's help to give us a vision of his love. We need God's help to fill us with his love. And we need each other's help. If we can love each other here, in this group, we can love each other here, in line with all the things that we discussed, we will be built up, we'll be edified, and we'll have the courage and the desire to love people outside of this place. But we've got to get it right here first. If we can truly love each other here, as I said earlier, people will walk into this place and sense the presence of God's love and the working of His Spirit. To accomplish this, we need to realize that everything comes from above. And so, as you leave here today, just remember, if you don't feel like you've got kind of the love that I'm talking about today, that we've been talking about, chances are you probably don't, but you can get it. And it's really easy to get that. And simple prayers is the way that God fills you with love. And God loves simple prayers. Mine is, uh, Lord, 
I just, I just don't have the kind of love that you have for other people. Would you please fill me with your love? That's it. It's not complicated. And guess what? God is faithful, and God cares about you, and he wants you to be filled with that love. So that's a gift that he has for us. He'll fill you with that love. Um, if we can get all of this right, we as a body will live, will thrive, and God's presence will be totally among us. And love or die, the name of this series, if we get it right, we will be a thriving church. If we don't get it right, we're going to die on the vine like a grape that's just hanging and never got harvested. So uh, let's pray and uh, pray that God will fill us with his love and um, take us to the next level. Lord and Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your love. I thank you for um, just how much you care for us. Lord, I pray for each one of us here that you will be able to show us how long and wide and deep and high is your love for us. Lord, that we might know the essence of who you are in the depths of your love. Lord, just uh, be generous with your love. Help us to know one another in the context of this amazing love that you have for us. Lord, bless us as a community with one that is marked by love, by patience and kindness. I thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.